Uh, if you were not here last week, we kicked it off. Um, and we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, and here's why it's relevant, because we're in this season of life. You've been having conversations last service. Uh, a couple had just moved here to the area, and uh, we were talking about how things are, are re, have reopened, and um, you know, even as you see restaurants, and uh, maybe for some of you, your office space was closed in the pandemic, and now they're reopening, and uh, things are kind of kind of re-establishing new re- routines and rhythms and sort of in some ways rebuilding our lives post-pandemic and what it's going to look like. And I know there are many governmental leaders, business leaders asking those questions of like, what's this life going to look like as we are moving forward? And we're all sort of in this process. And, and the reason why Nehemiah's book is so relevant because he was called back to his capital city of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls around the city. And why are the walls so important? Because the walls protected the city, uh, not just the inhabitants, but also their resource. Uh, so this protection was critical uh, for the people in the city. And he was called to go back to rebuild the walls. And there are some principles that we see at the life of Nehemiah in this book that we can apply to our own life as we are rebuilding in this season. Uh, so we're going to look at Nehemiah 4, chapters 4 through 6 today uh, as we dive in. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Uh, it is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, we pray that today... God, that you would speak through me. God, we posture our hearts and minds to receive from you today. God, we love you. We honor you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read out of, uh, uh, again, Nehemiah 4 through 6. going to cover a big uh, swath of scripture. We won't read every scripture, uh, but uh, I would encourage you to read it for yourself. But I want to share with you, today's message is entitled, uh, Rebuild Through Resistance. To rebuild through resistance, because in in chapter 4, they really begin to face a lot of resistance in Jerusalem. And here's the reality. If you're going to follow God, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to follow the call of God upon your life, you will face resistance. I'd love to say, hey, follow Jesus, and then the red carpet will be rolled out for you. But if we read the scriptures, in fact, the disciples themselves faced harsh persecution. The disciples faced lots of resistance, but God did something significant and great through their life. And Nehemiah and the Jews in Jerusalem faced a lot of resistance, but God did something significant through their life. And I want to share with you just three points from this passage. And here's the first one, is that we first, to kind of rebuild through resistance, we have to fight for God's calling. Fight for God's calling. Nehemiah 4, chapter 1, or verse 1, says this, When Sambalot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates of the army of Samaria. He said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they rebuilding? Even a fox climbing upon it would break down the wall of stones. So here we see, as soon as they start to rebuild the walls, they face criticism and ridicule. What are you feeble Jews doing? How are you going to rebuild this wall in that timetable? Don't show this wall that you're rebuilding will easily come down. And here's a reality. Maybe you've experienced this. When you begin to follow the call of God upon your life and the will of God upon your life, you may face some criticism. It may come externally. Maybe you moved here to the Washington, D.C. area to work at NIH or you're going to school or, or maybe you felt called to work for the government and you moved to this area. Maybe you had some people in your life have even questioned, maybe some family of, of questioning, well, why couldn't you fulfill the call of God upon your life here back home? 
Or maybe some coworkers. Once you begin to pivot and move into a different industry because you sense God's calling you somewhere, and maybe that's requiring you to forsake the success you've built where you are, and maybe they've been questioning, maybe a little bit of criticism, maybe a little bit of judgment, or why are you giving up all of this to pursue this? You know what I found sometimes where the harshest critique can come from? Internally. Have you realized we're our own worst critic? I know with our, with our kids, I often see this, that when uh, there's, uh, they, they, they do something or there's any sort of moment, especially where there's correction, that they're often so critical of themselves. Can I be a transparent for a moment? Sometimes when I, on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, my internal critic is criticizing what I told you just moments before from the word of God. Can I tell you, listen, can I encourage someone? Criticism is not a mark that you're out of the will of God. In fact, it very may, may well be the affirmation that you are going in the right direction because not only can criticism come externally and internally, but it will become spiritually. But Jesus himself said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. What that means is the forces of hell will come against you. Aren't you encouraged by that today? You're like, I'm so glad I came to church. Hell's coming against me. But here's the good news. It won't prevail. It won't succeed. So it will be hard, probably. There'll be difficult moments, more than likely. But will it defeat you? No. Why? Because the same power that raised Christ from the grave, it lives on the inside of you. So resistance will come. Criticism will come. Ridicule will come. The Bible calls the devil the father of lies. He's going to birth lies in your mind. You're not good enough. You're not talented enough. You came from a broken home. How can you have a healthy marriage? You didn't do well in school. How can you launch that business? Because he's a father of lies. And he knows he cannot prevail against the spirit of God in you. So he wants you to believe his lies. So now you have faith for a lie from hell so that you inhibit the power of heaven through your life. We believe the truth and say, you know what? But I stand upon the truth of the word of God. And I'm more than enough because my God said that I am. That I am a new creation. I am no longer defined by my past or my mistakes or my sin. I'm defined by who God says I am. I'm preaching better than y'all responding, but that's okay. I know you're taking massive notes. And then here's Nehemiah's response in verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over to their plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Do you catch this? Nehemiah is like, hey, God, they are insulting me. Man, throw it back on them. God, like, God, the, the, you go against them. Like Nehemiah in this moment, he turns he turns to God. He begins to, to turn to God and, and, and express his trust in God in this moment through this prayer. Nehemiah didn't wordsmith his response. He didn't reason uh, with himself or with Sambalot and Tobiah on why they were going to be successful. He's like, you know what? No, it was God who called me here. So it's God who's going to see me through. And it's God who will give me success. Therefore, I will not come back with you, reason with you, debate with you. I'm going to ask for the God of heaven to work on my behalf. 
And we can take a, take a, uh, a principle from Nehemiah's life here with this, to turn to God, to keep trusting in God. See, even though this scripture was not written when Nehemiah's day, Nehemiah knew the character of God. And this is the character of our God, that we know that all things, not some things, not most things, not all things on Sunday, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose, to their calling. Let me encourage someone today, if you are walking according to the ways of God and the word of God and the will of God, if it's not good, God's not done. Because he works all things. It might be rough right now. It might be hard right now. You're saying, Jeremy, I feel like things are coming against me. Things are getting worse. Well, here's the good news. Not just some things and not just all things on Sunday. All things, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, repeat. All things work together for good. God's going to work together for good. Somebody needs to hear this today. That very thing, you, you feel like I have stepped out in obedience to God's call. I am following God's ways, but things are getting harder. Things are getting more difficult. The word of the Lord for you today is that God is saying all things. That thing that looks like there is no good in it, watch me turn it together for good. And I will be the one that will get the glory because my hand will be evident upon your life and I will lift you up. See, 1 Peter 5 Peter, Peter's speaking this to a persecuted church, a church who they know people who've died for their faith. They're, 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 some are worshiping in private. And he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. He says to humble yourself. What does humbling yourself looks like? Humbling yourself looks like casting your cares and anxieties upon God. Listen, here's a question I, I want to ask you. That, that thing, that area, that concern that's weighing you down, have you cast it over to God? That word cast really means to throw it over to him. Have you given that area over to God in your life. Turn to God, trust in God. But then catch this, in verse seven, they're, they're unrelenting. It says this, when Sambalot, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard the repairs happening to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. A side note, not everyone who hears, not everyone when they see God's hand upon your life will be for you. So don't get upset when some people are not encouraging you or cheering for you because not everyone was happy for Nehemiah. Are you following me? If you're wondering, why isn't my, 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 my relative happy? Why isn't this coworker excited for me? Because not everyone will be. And they were, they were angry because of the success they were having. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So they tried to intimidate the, the Jews. Meanwhile, then the people in Judah, the strength of the laborers were giving out, and there was so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it, to see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. So here's what's happening. The people of, of, of Jerusalem, they're, they're getting discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged before? 
where it's like you, you, you have maybe disappointment after disappointment. Maybe you've heard the phrase, when it rains, it pours. And it can seem like sometimes like everywhere you turn, you're facing resistance. Again, uh, not always, because sometimes we can create our own resistance. That's a whole other message. Um, but, but oftentimes, resistance can be actually affirmation. You're going the right direction. I've actually found times that I've stepped out in accordance to God's calling upon my life that were significant steps. They were some of my hardest seasons. But can I tell you my most rewarding seasons? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> Here's why you got to stay sensitive to the voice of God. And you got to be reliant upon the word of God. Be sensitive to the spirit of God. And can I tell you, and I'll get this in just a moment. It's a nice setup. You need to be around the people of God in your life. Can I tell you, there are a lot of followers of Christ who try to follow Jesus all by themselves, and they wonder why they cannot discern the will or call of God. Because God never calls you to himself by himself, by yourself. He calls you to himself in the context of a people. That's why the number one reference or metaphor to the church in Scripture is the family of God. God said, I place the lonely in families. Don't be a lonely follower of Christ. He places you in a family because the people of God can affirm the call of God on your life. Because here's what happens next. So they're facing resistance. They're feeling discouraged. They're feeling overwhelmed. And Nehemiah in verse 13 says, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall in the exposed places, posting them by families with swords, spears, and bows. Nehemiah ain't playing, y'all. Come on. If they had tanks in the day, he'd have a tank up in there. Like, sword, spears, and bows. He puts them at the the most vulnerable points of the wall. So what does Nehemiah do? He knows if the enemy is going to take down this wall, they're not going to go to the strongest parts. They're going to go to the weakest parts. They're going to go where the, the wall is most vulnerable. And here's the thought I want to share with you. Is that do you have people in your life protecting your vulnerabilities? Let me, let me give it practical. That your vulnerabilities are those areas of your life. Let me say it this way. He knew if the walls were to come down, they would attack the vulnerable places. You have vulnerable places. You have areas of your life. I'll put, let me ask you this question. If there was something in your life that would derail you from following the call of God on your life, what would that be? What would that be that would get you away from God and the call of God in your life. I had a good friend of mine some years ago. We actually both answered this question for each other or to each other so we could, we could guard each other's vulnerabilities. Is we asked, what is one thing if you were to kind of blow up your life, if you were to get off course from following God, what is that one thing you would do? Answer that question and tell somebody in your life. What's that one area of your sin? That one area of sin? We see people, right? We all know people who've done this. They've gotten caught up in an addiction. Gotten caught, and again, there's no, there's no condemnation. Please hear that. But what I'm saying is you need to have somebody who knows what's that area of your life. Is it pride? Is it greed? Is it lust? Is it envy? What's that area the enemy knows? Hey, I may not get Jeremy here, but he's vulnerable here because we all have a vulnerability. So here's what he does. In fact, I'm by my friend John up. Uh, John's, he basically, what he does is, is he has half of his people uh, digging with trowels. And then he has the other half with a sword. <laughs> um, I'm also much tall, taller than John. He just has platform shoes on. So I'm a tall man. Um, 
Because listen, if, if the, the, uh, those were busy rebuilding, uh, obeying God's calling, they had a blind side. And, and Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites could come and hit them on their blind side. But Nehemiah knew we need to keep building and start battling. Therefore, he had people covering his blind side. Come on, give it up for John. Here's my question. Who's covering your blind side? You know, in football, one of the most highest paid players on a team is typically a left guard if there's a right-hand quarterback. Because a left guard, they recruit left guards in third grade because they look for people of certain size and strength. So they, they, they because they, this is one of the most important positions. If you think of Tom Brady, his teams, their, their left guard is always paid very highly. You want to know why? He covers Tom Brady's blind side. Because if a quarterback does not have their blind side covered, they could get hit and end their career. More than likely, they'll get hit and they'll lose the football. So they, they, they pay that player. Who do you have on your blind side? Can I say, there were seasons of my life, honestly, I didn't have like one person on my blind side because it takes time. I now have about six people. They know my vulnerabilities. They know the call of God upon my life, but they also know Jeremy is human. Here's who these people should be. You need people in your life who are not impressed by you. You need people in your life who they don't know the Instagram, Jeremy. Okay, I'm preaching to somebody. They know the behind the scenes messed up all kinds of brokenness, you. You need to have somebody who sees the chinks in your armor. You can't show everybody because not everybody can handle it. But you got to show, show somebody. And these relationships take time. And here's, here's how, if you're saying to yourself, Jeremy, I don't have these people. Here's how you can, because I've experienced this. Here's how you can build these relationships. Be someone who guards other people's blind side. It's a biblical principle. If you want something in your life, be that for somebody else in their life. Here's what I found. The more that I cover people's blind sides, the more that I pray for them, support them, encourage them, cheer them on, the more that I'm that for them, the more I have found that in my own life. So I want to encourage you. Here's what Ecclesiastes says this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Here's the reality. Listen, you need someone on your blind side, but also this, life will have a way of knocking you down. Have you experienced this? <laughs> like everything is going great, and then all of a sudden something happens. You get laid off in the pandemic, or you lose a loved one unexpectedly, or a relationship ends that you thought would, would be forever. Like things can happen. Like it just all of a sudden and you need someone in those moments who will pick you up when you fall down. You need someone who's going to encourage you because you will have moments of discouragement. Some years before we, we started the church, uh, Christine and I walked through a season of discouragement. We kind of felt like it was kind of when it rained, it poured. And to be honest, there were several people close to us that if it was not for their encouragement, their prayer, their watching our blind side, that I don't know if we would have started this church. I don't know if we would have stepped out in faith because, listen, you need people who believe in you when you don't believe in yourself because you will have a day where you're like, you know what, I don't know if I heard God right. You know what, I don't know if I'm called to this. 
And you need someone who says, who remembers the word of God in your life. You need someone who will pray for you and encourage you and said, yes, this is the call of God upon your life. And I'm here for you. And I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to walk with you. You need someone who will be that for you. So number one is this, you got to fight for God's calling in your life. Fight for God's calling. I almost, sorry, this is second service and things is come. I almost started saying you got to fight for your right to party. But then this isn't Beastie Boys. I'm sorry. I'm old. Some of you are like, who are Beastie Boys? For others of you who are uh, in your late 30s and above, you know what I'm talking about. But we're not talking about that right now. Fight for your calling. Number two, courageously confront sin. And problems. Nehemiah 5, here's what happens. Verse 1, the men and their wives raised a great outcry against the fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still, some were saying, we have to borrow money to pay the king's tax for our fields and vineyards. And although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, we have subject our sons and daughters to slavery. For some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Here's what happens. That there were landowners in Jerusalem who were mortgaging their land to uh, those, the remnant who were still there. But this was, this was a time of, of famine. This was a time of ruin. Like the, the economy was not prospering. It was an economic downturn. So what was common practice when the economy was in a downturn was you do not charge interest to your own flesh and blood. Well, these landowners are charging interest during a downturn. So the, the economy was so significant, the gap between the, the wealthy uh, and, and the rest of everyone was, was growing and growing and growing. So those who were not the landowners were saying, listen, we are so uh, facing such hard times. Some of us, we don't have food to eat. And then others were actually selling their children into slavery just to live. So they come to Nehemiah. And I love Nehemiah's response because, again, we see this in chapter, uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, but we also see it here in chapter six, 5. He does not just point out the wrong of others. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy. Have you ever noticed it's easier to see the sin in your spouse than in yourself? <laughs> Some of you are like, I married a sinner. They're terrible. You know? <laughs> or it's easier to see the wrong your coworker did. Anybody else? Come on. Like, you're like... And they're messed up, right? You know? <laughs> or it's, it's, it's easier to see the sin in others than it is our, ourselves. But Nehemiah, I love in this moment because here's what we see his response in verse 9. He gathers the landowners together. He says, what you're doing is not right. So he calls it out. But he says, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and avoid reproach of our Gentile enemies? In other words, you should fear God enough to not mistreat people. And that you should also care about how our reputation is to those on the outside. So you should live a different way. And that's a word for us as followers of Christ. We're called to live differently because we fear God above all else. So we're called to live differently than those around us. I live above reproach. Catch this, verse 10. I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. I want you to catch this for a moment because Nehemiah does something that was so countercultural for a leader then as it is today. Because we live in a culture where we often put our best foot forward, right? 
they have found in studies that actually the, the large majority of, of resumes and CVs that come through the hand of employers for uh, prospective jobs often include exaggerations. I know no one here has ever exaggerated their GPA in college um, or, or, or what their role was at a certain place. But here's why. Because the culture of our country is to put your best foot forward. You don't show your weakness. You don't show your chinks in the armor. So here's Nehemiah, the governor of Judah, called by God to rebuild Jerusalem. And he says to, to, the, to the entire people, imagine this. People are saying, hey, listen, we are so economically oppressed that we are selling our children into slavery. And he says, I am guilty of this. He confesses his sin before the people. That, you don't do that as a leader, right? You don't tell them, like, I'm the one to blame, right? You blame shift. <laughs> I'm going to check that out. I'm going to talk to middle management. No, he says, I am to blame. See, we live in a culture as well. We have to understand the, the culture we live in. We're very quick to point out the sin of others. Like, you look in the media, right? We love to, like, point out. And here's Nehemiah stands before his people and says, I'm imperfect. I have been wrong. And he humbles himself. And do you want to know why I think Nehemiah had this humility? Because Nehemiah recognized that we're not going to rebuild these walls. We're not going to accomplish God's call. It's not based upon my morality or my performance or my perfection. It's God who will give us success. It's God who will rebuild these walls through us. Therefore, I don't need to be perfect. I can have some issues. And let me encourage someone. I, I told this to someone a few weeks ago. They were processing their own imperfections. And I said, let me encourage you. If you feel imperfect, if you feel you have some broken areas of your life, here's the encouragement for you. If you were perfect, you would not need a Savior. But you need a Savior. You need Jesus. So when you're broken, when you're messed up, when you're like, oh, man, I got to get it together, that's why you need Christ. Thinking you have to have it all together is religion. It's not Christianity. I had someone recently tell me, uh, he asked what I did. It was outside of here. And he, I said, I'm a pastor. He's like, I don't like religion. I said, me either. So we good. <laughs> I don't do religion. I follow Jesus, and Jesus says that I can actually come boldly to his throne of grace, broken, aware of my sin. So he humbly repents of his sin. See, Nehemiah, again, understood the character of God. Here's the character of God, James 4.10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, Nehemiah knew this. Nehemiah knew this, that God can take me places. My skills, my intellect, my network could never take me. And listen, you are brilliant. I know many of you in this room, you, you have many degrees, you are very accomplished. But can I tell you, you are not God. And humility is when you recognize, I am not God and he is. So it means I don't have to understand it. I don't have to figure it out. I just have to trust God. I have to just say, you know what, God? I don't have to understand. I'm going to humble myself even when I don't understand it, even when I don't feel like it. 
I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you because your word says promotion does not come from the north, south, east, or west. It does not come from your college administrator. It does not come from your boss. It does not come from your future boss. It comes from the God in heaven. And when you begin to understand that, come on, my, 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 my two-year-old daughter was preaching this morning to me. We were getting ready for church. We were leaving the house. And she, sang, she, she was singing, God, God, God has the whole world in his hands. I said, Abby, you better preach. You better preach, Abby. She started saying, God has the whole world in his hands. And some of you need to understand, God has your calling in his hands. God has your future in his hands. That, that medical school administrator, that counselor, they don't have your future in their hands. Your boss, their future is not in your boss's hands. God has the world in his hands. Therefore, I will humble myself. I will trust God above everything else because he's the one who will lift you up. And he will take you places you could never take yourself. I said this last week, but I truly mean it. I'm going to say it again. I want you to live a life that does not make rational sense. That God's hand is so on you. His blessing is so profound on you. People would say, Jeremy's not that smart. He ain't that good looking. He's kind of good looking. But are you following me, church? Let's live a life that doesn't make sense. But here's what's going to require. This is key. It's going to require humility. Say, I'm broken. Yeah, I know I'm educated. I'm not perfect. Yeah, I know I've had success but I got issues. But you know what? My God is good. Humble. But here's the thing. It's one thing to humbly, to humbly acknowledge that you have issues and you have sin. But he, it's one thing to acknowledge you need to change. It's a whole other thing to change. I'll give you a case in point. Anyone remember uh, your 2021 New Year's resolutions? Come on. You're like, I think I made some, Right? We set out the year being like, hey, we're making all these changes, right? It's one thing to say I need to change. It's a whole other thing to change. That's why, I mean, I love the gym in July. It's like half the population of January. Come on. It's like, because why? Because it's one thing to say I'm going to get in shape. It's a whole other thing to actually go every day and get in shape. It's a whole other thing to actually confront. So here's what Nehemiah does. Verse 11, give them back immediately their fields. He's speaking to the owners. Vineyards, olive groves, houses, and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money and grain, new wine, and olive oil. So he, he humbly acknowledges sin, but now he makes the change. Now he puts his money where his mouth is. Like literally, he's like, I'm, we need to give them back their money. And it's one thing, again, we can acknowledge that we need to change. I remember years ago, so one of my issues one of my broken chinks in the armor personally is years, years ago, actually since I was in college, I can remember this. Like an idol in my life has been work. Like I love, I love work. Like back, back like years ago, if you say, hey, Jeremy, what's your hobby? I'm like, work. What do you do for vacation? I work. What do you do to relax? Work some more. And listen, God loves hard work. He said six days you should work. But work makes a terrible little G God. And, and it's an idol in our life, and we put it above everything. 
And here's how you can know something's an idol in your life. You say no to God for this little g-god. You say, no, God, I'm not going to follow you in this area because i, I got to keep pursuing this. And here's what I know. I know I'm stepping on some toes because in the Washington, D.C. area, we get some stuff done here. We like to work. But can I tell you, it's important. So for me, let me say back to me. I acknowledged years ago I had an issue with this. But I didn't start making change. It took several years for me to actually start making change because change was hard. To have friends who loved me to hold me accountable. I eventually even, I mean, some of you might, might think differently of me for this, but I don't really, it's okay. I, I got a therapist help me with it. Because I wanted to get free of this. I don't want work to be my, my God. I don't want to be working all the time because here was the outcome of this. I was working so much. I'd work all day. I'd come home, eat dinner, work at night. I began to become more emotionally absent at home. And God had called me to actually love and steward my family. And, and in our culture right now, we've all seen it. People will lay their families and their marriages on the altar of success at work. And that is not in God's word. When God has given you a family and relation, he's giving you that to steward with your work. Work's not bad. It's just not God. So it took me some years to have the courage to change. Here's my question for you. What is that area for you? What's that area? Maybe it's, it's an area of, of pride or greed or lust. Like, What's an area for you that you know God right now is even, he's pinpointing it. That you need to, you need to make the, the shift to get. Maybe it's seeking out some marriage mentorship because you know that your marriage isn't where it's supposed to be. Maybe it's having someone like humbling yourself and asking someone to kind of help you, disciple you, help you to grow in your faith because you're not where it's supposed to be. Maybe it's getting in a community group on a serving team and opening up to somebody and saying, here's where I struggle. Can you pray for me? Can you encourage me? Can you support me? Because we need to have others in our life to help us to be courageous to address the issues in our life. But here's the encouraging part. I'll wrap up this point with this. In Joshua 1, 9, the Lord speaks to Joshua and says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Here's the encouraging part about God. I, I love God. He doesn't say, now go be courageous. He said, come be courageous with me. He says, I will be with you, Joshua, wherever you go. I had a moment this past week. I was with my oldest daughter. We were out on a canoe on, the, on, the, on this creek, and it kind of emptied out into this river. And as we were going out on this uh, creek and we were getting into the river, the river like opened up like massively and she began to get a little nervous. And I, and I, looked, at, I looked at Hannah and I said, Hannah, your dad is with you. You have no reason to be afraid. I have complete control of this boat. Can I encourage you as you step out in obedience to God's call upon your life, your heavenly father's in heaven is saying this, I am with you and I'm in complete control. You can trust me. Step out. Can I just encourage this? This week, here's what I've noticed personally, and I'm just speaking anecdotally, informally, that when you feel God moving you to do something, take a step this week. Better yet, do it tonight. Like call somebody, reach out for a marriage mentor, set up a counseling appointment, whatever it is. Because here's what I've noticed. <laughs> when you take one step, the second step becomes easier. And the third step becomes easier. And next thing you know, listen, that one step can be the hardest. But take it. God's with you, and you'll see God move on your behalf. Here's the last point. 
So we, we fight for God's calling. We courageously confront sin and problems. Number three is we keep moving forward. Nehemiah 4, 16. Go back to chapter four. It says, from the day on, half the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand on, and a weapon with one in one hand and a weapon in the other. Each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Note this, that they didn't allow the resistance to become a distraction in their life. Anybody else here, you, you, you get easily distracted. I had this moment uh, not long ago. Maybe you've had this moment. Uh, this happens to me, actually. has happened several times. I will go into a store to get, like, one thing. Usually, if it's like, you know, a grocery store or like Target, and I come out with 17 things, I've spent $178.23, and I forgot the very thing I went in there for. <laughs> Anybody else? It's like you get distracted. Especially like you're up in the Trader Joe's and they got those like aisle, like their new products. I'm like, they're just like, I'm like, get behind me, Satan. I ain't going that way. <laughs> you're attacking my budget. Uh, but if we can get easily distracted in a grocery store, you can get distracted from your calling. Here's what distractions can look like. Distractions can look like conflict. And you begin actually fighting a battle God never called you to fight. You begin pursuing something God never called you to pursue. It can be comfort. Have you ever had this moment? God, I've had this moment where God's asked me to do something, kind of called me to do something. And I say, God, like, I followed you like two years ago. Am I good for like five years? Like every five years, you kind of re-up it. Like, why I got to do it again? Comfort can actually become a distraction. Because you're like, I'm good where I am, right? I can serve you right here, Jesus. And, and listen, he loves you right where you are, but he's calling you to better. So comfort and, and conflict, like these things can get in the way and they can easily become a distraction from what God is calling us That's why he has them keep, he has them battle, but he also has them to keep building, to keep moving forward. And then in chapter six, catch this. Chapter six, verse two, Sambalat and Geshem sent, sent, sent a message to Nehemiah. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers with them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop? While I leave it and go down to you, four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Now, you can read this and say, Nehemiah, that's kind of prideful, because you were like, like, basically, these guys text him and say, hey, we have a great business idea. Let's, let's get together. And Nehemiah is like, I'm actually, what I'm doing is too significant to stop. <laughs> it's too great for me to stop what I'm doing to meet with you. But it actually wasn't prideful. Nehemiah was just focused. He, he was just focused on what God was calling him to do. And he was saying, I don't have time for distractions. The call of God's too important on my life to get distracted with things that are not according to his word and his will. Because I have a wall to rebuild for a people. And, and in this moment, and he, here's what I want to encourage you with. There will come times, there will come people, there will be things there will be places that, will, that the enemy will try to use as a distraction to distract you from God's call upon your life. True story, I've been, I've been pastoring for uh, now 10 years. I have seen people going hard after God 
And then they meet someone. And that person they start dating becomes a distraction. And next thing I know, the passion and fervor they had for God and the call of God upon their life all of a sudden begins to wane. And all of a sudden begins to pull them aside. Or they, they all of a sudden they get caught up in something, just kind of some other you know, new venture or new thing in their life. And all of a sudden, the, what God originally called them to, they begin to get distracted from. And here's what I want to encourage you with today is this. It's to get a renewed sense of God's call upon your life in this season and to be focused on it. And there are some things in this season you do not have time to deal with. There are some relationships you need to end today. There are some places you need to stop going to tonight. There are some activities you need to cut out of your life right now. Now, don't text him and say, I'm cutting you out of my life. No, this is my pastor said, no. Are you hearing me, though? There are some things. He, he, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul, who faced many distractions, he was beaten, he was left for dead, he was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, he, he was turned on by his own people. Like many, many things could get him off course. Also, a side note, one thing that can get you off course is discouragement. You, you can be so discouraged, you're just like, you know what, I'm done. I'm just going to settle. I, so I, I feel led to pray for people who feel discouraged today at the end of service. I'm believing God's going to give you a supernatural courage to keep following. Paul said in Philippians 3, but this one thing I do, I love this, this one thing. Like, I, I don't follow Christ and have a side hustle. I'm not saying God's not calling you that side hustle. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, did God call you? Did God call you to that place you're working? Is God calling you to that relationship? What's God calling you to in this season? And, and listen, I'm not saying you go quit your job tomorrow. Don't look at your spouse and saying, God's not calling me you in this season. I'm out. No, don't do that. You're in a covenant. God won't contradict his word. It's a whole other message. But ask, like, here's this one thing I do. Like, this one thing. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul was fixated. He was focused. I read this last week, but I want to read it again. Hebrews 12 says this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles. Let us run with perseverance to race marked out, out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. There are some things, there are some weights that you need to throw off in this season. You know, I had this situation recently with my son. My, my son's five years old, and oftentimes when we take trips, I don't know if any parents have a child like this. He'll want to bring, like, his entire room. Like, even this morning, the ride to church, he, like, comes out of his room with his bag. He's like, Dad, can you help me with this bag? It's heavy. I'm like, what is it, son? It's books I'm bringing in the car. I'm like, son, we're just going to church. Like, why are you packing a suitcase? But he, uh, like, he'll, he'll literally bring, like, 12 stuffed animals and 37 books. It's like, son, that will not fit in a hotel room. Like, you cannot bring that. There are some things you need to leave where you are because you can't take with you where you're going. And there are some of you, there's a weight on your life that will hinder you. It's, it can be a mindset. Some of you are actually allowing yourself to be held back because you are beating yourself up for your past sin. God paid for that sin. 
He's saying, I have forgiven you and I've cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Move forward. Some of you, what's holding you back is a relationship. Some of you holding you back is, is maybe something you've been involved in that you need, to, you need to let go in this season. You need to, you need to throw off that thing. that's hindering. What is that that's holding you back, that's hindering you? Let that go. Worship team can come up as I close. And then the very end of all of this, so he's, he's, he's fixated, he's, he's moving forward, he's, they're battling and they're building. And then he says this in verse 6, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid. They lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. So they see through all of this. I mentioned this last week. The original wall took three to four years. Nehemiah and this small remnant of Jews rebuilt the wall in 52 days. And you know what you see throughout Nehemiah's life? And here's what I'm going to close with. I think this is so important. And, I, and it goes back to something I've said several times this past two weeks. But Nehemiah, his confidence continually rested in God. So that even in his success, he wasn't like, look at me. Look what we did. He said, no, our enemies are shuddering in fear because now they see the hand of God is upon us. And my hope and prayer for you is that you live a life with such trust and dependence upon God that even when it seems a little bit irrational, even when it seems a little bit overwhelming, even when you face criticism, you continue to trust in the hand of God, you continue to trust in the voice of God, and you continue to experience the power of God in your life. How do we rebuild through resistance? What we see in Nehemiah's life you got to fight for God's calling. You, you're, the, criti the criticism will come, even if it's just internally. And, and, and you'll feel at times intimidated, overwhelmed. The enemy, the father of lies, will try to make you to believe things that aren't true about you. you got to have some people who are covering your blind side. Do you have some people in your life that are looking out for you, praying for you, encouraging, picking you up when you fall down? You need to have those individuals, but then you also need to courageously confront sin in your life. Are there any, any things in your life that you would say, I need, I need to humbly repent. I need to confess before God and tell somebody else. They can pray for me. They can encourage me. They can support me. And then I have, to have the courage to make the change. And again, I think it's better sooner than later. Start making those changes. And then lastly is keep moving forward. You keep moving forward. Listen, even if you have messed up, you have made mistakes, welcome to the club. You need a savior. <laughs> Keep moving forward. The, the, the Bible says this, the call of God is irrevocable. It's irrevocable. Keep moving forward. Keep building. Keep battling. And just like Nehemiah, God's hands on your life and God will give you success. Bow your heads with me, church.